it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 717 for March 5th, 2022, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz, back with Programming by Stealth, installment 136 of X. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing good after much, much, actually, yeah. So the last time we were talking, I had complained that I had mentally said, oh, we've only had three storms. Isn't it great? And then we had three in a week. (laughs) Last weekend, I was saying to myself, gosh, there hasn't been a north wind in ages. I haven't seen any of those back roads. Three guesses where I was this afternoon. I was up north. (laughs) So whatever I think hasn't happened will happen again. So did you have north winds? We did, but it was really, really quiet north winds and I hadn't been in those back roads in ages. So I really enjoyed myself. So it was good. Well, good. Well, I went for a run today and uh, the peak wind speed in the direction I was running was 30 miles an hour. That might make a slight asymmetry in your speed. (laughs) I was running next to people who were walking and I was barely passing them and I kept going, I'm running as fast as I can. (laughs) And the sand in the eyes, it was really fun. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, the sound we don't get. It's usually rain in my eyes, but that's why I have... Do you know why most important cycling accessory is see-through glasses? Like they're not prescription. They're just they're just oh clear. Clear sunglasses. Aren't aren't all glasses see-through in theory? That's a fair point, yes. I mean clear as in the not not um, not darkened. Yeah. Not not mm. dark not 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 orange, not brown, not grey, just just transparent. But they keep the rain out and that's important. Anyway. Uh, good. I do believe we're supposed to be programming. Well, let's just do it. Right, so when we last left our story, I had introduced you to Jest, which is a JavaScript uh, library for doing uh, test-driven development uh, with unit testing from the uh, folks at Meta. Uh, But it's open source, very well supported in the community, and I like it. I, you know, I'm prepared. You know, I'm prepared to say that the art and the artist can be separated. Um, You know, (laughs) Wagner wrote good music, even if he was a horrific human being. Um, so, you know, Meta slash Facebook have written a good Java script API. Anyway, we learned just enough last time to make it go, because I, I really didn't want to allow you to see it go, because right? you get cranky at me if I don't let the horse out of the barn. So I, I wanted to get us <laughs> it the was, horse. It was just enough of a taste to know that I believed it was actually going to do something. Yeah, but we didn't really go much further. So in this installment, we're going we're gonna to do that 80-20 rule thing. We're going to get ourselves to the 20% that gets us through 80% of what we'll ever need. Uh, which is all we need to get started on our project. So this is not everything Jest can do, but it's everything we need Jest to do in order to be productive with it, in order to to use it well. Um, th- this is sufficient for now. And we may or may not learn a few superpowers later in the project, but I wouldn't see that happening anytime soon. I, I, don't, I don't foresee us needing anything more than this for a while. So a quick refresher before we get stuck into new stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, the the idea is that uh, you have a bunch of tests. So you have a you have files which are star.test.js and in there you define your tests and inside your tests you define expectations. So your test is with the test function and your expectations are with the expect function. So an overly simplistic example would be test, and then the first argument is a description, so JavaScript can add. And then the second argument is a function which contains the test, and it is normal to write them as arrow functions to keep things nice and short. So in this case, we say expect, and the argument you pass to expect is the thing to be tested. And then dot to be is the matcher we're going to use, and the argument of the matcher is the value we want it to be. So dot expect one plus one dot to be two. I don't think uh, there's a dot in front of expect, is there? Or there's there, a typo in the show notes, one or the other? Uh, no, there's... Uh, I don't see a dot in front of expect. Ex- right, but you said a dot in front of expect. Ah, okay. okay, so it's it's expect, in your case, one plus one dot to be two. Correct, yes. Okay. I don't know why Good. I keep thinking there should be dots in front of things. I... I the show notes were wrong a lot, uh, but I don't think they're wrong anymore. I think I fixed them all. <laughs> okay, it's just your mouth that got it wrong. Got just it. my yeah, my mouth got away from me there. Um, okay. So we also learned that uh, we you know you have to do a little bit of jiggery pokery in your pack in your package.json to connect Jest to do to be your test kit. So you end up defining a little uh, an entry in the scripts array in your package.json. 
that just points to the command to run jest, which we have in the show notes, just as a reminder. And then when all that's up and running, you just say npm space run space test, and off goes your test suite. And hopefully, lots of happy green tick marks and no sad red X marks. <laughs> Although, okay. you know, you're supposed to write your test and have it break, so I guess it depends on where you are in the, in the process. Mm-hmm. If you would like to play along today, uh, there's you, there's no requirement to, but if you'd like to. So what I did when writing these show notes was I took the after version of the example in the last installment, so pbs135b-joiner-after, and I used that as my starting point for all we're going to do together today. Okay. So what's in this installment zip file is the finished product, and you can just jump straight to the finished product if you like, or if you want to create the finished product with me, then if you open 135B after, then you can make the same edits I made as we go. But, okay, know, but all of optional. the edits are in the show notes. You're going to walk us through them like you do? Exactly. Exactly. Great. Okay. So our test suite is in the folder uh, SRC, and then the file is called joiner.test.js. And uh, I just spotted another stray dot in the show notes, but that is now killed. Um, so the first thing we're going to do, the first missing chunk of our knowledge is the ability to group tests together um, it, logically within sort of explicitly telling Jest that they belong to each other, which will have the effect of making them look like they belong to each other in our code, making our code easier to read, and it will also make the output of Jest more understandable. So as our starting point, you will notice that there are places where I have these massive big three-line comments telling me, oh, here's the start of a group of related things, you know, test the modifiers, and that's then followed by a whole bunch of individual tests. Well, if I'm doing that as a giant big comment, that's a pretty good red light that mm, maybe there's a better way to do it instead of having it as a giant big comment. Maybe I should be using some sort of grouping functionality within Jest, which is, of course, exactly what I should be doing. Um, the I've actually lost you already. Um, you, you've lost uh, me. Okay. <laughs> where, what file, where are you that you're talking about okay, having so big comments? In the file, joiner.test.js from the before, so at the end of the, <laughs> the previous... The after, 30... which is now the before. Yeah, or just <laughs> frankly in the show notes. I have it right okay. here in the show notes. It says okay. slash 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 three equals is then test the modifiers three equals is slash slash. To me, that's a giant big shouty comment. Okay. That's my so way we'll... of, you know, because if you're scrolling by, that's my way of making it visible even as I scroll, right? I, I make it sure. I spread it over multiple lines. And then I just have all of these tests, one after the other. But there's nothing to tell Jess that they're related. I've just told myself with a giant big comment in the source code, you know, in the, that's just a comment to me. So when we were working with QUnit, we were able to group tests together into little named pieces. So when we ran the test, it would show, you know, testing modifiers and then the subtests. Okay. Okay, I got you. So... We can do that in Jest, and the name of the function for doing it is, I don't know if it's genius or, or, or it, 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 if it is genius, it's a bizarre genius. The function is called describe, because what you're doing is describing a collection of tests. But I would have thought group or something would have been the name I would have picked, but the name they have picked is describe. Okay. Well, you're describing this group of text, tests. Yeah. And the first argument to describe is a string in which you are indeed supposed to describe the group of tests you're making. And the second argument is a function, which, of course, is going to be an arrow function, which is why... Do you remember just before we started this, I did a little bit of a, you know, let's revi- let's refresh our memory on arrow functions. And I told you we'd need quite a few of them. Well, here is arrow function number 5 million in today's example. <laughs> I'm really glad... This is happening because I'm right now running uh, whatever uh, linter I'm running. I can't style guide I'm running is is constantly going. Yeah, this should really be an arrow function, and I'm letting it. And then I sit there looking at my code, going, "What does that even mean? I'm so confused. I knew what it meant before, but the more I see it, the more I go, "Oh, that's just an arrow function." Yes, and, and exactly. I'm, I'm still kind of translating, going, "What did that used to look like, and what does it look like now?" But this is good, and it, it sure makes this short and clean. Yeah, that is. I mean, that is why they are so beloved of programmers because it, it unclutters your code so that the bits that are left are meaningful. 
So now we can say describe, JavaScript can do basic arithmetic, and then inside our arrow function we have test, JavaScript can add, expect 1 plus 1 to be 2. JavaScript can sub- test, JavaScript can subtract, expect 2 minus 1 to be 1, uh, 1 for multiply, 1 for divide, right? So okay. that that is the structure of the syntax for these things. So let us now update the actual code in our test suite. So we say describe, test modifiers, and then we do our arrow function. And in there, we put the same tests we had before, but now they're inside that arrow function. So what has changed is that all of my tests are now indented inside of the describe. Mm-hmm. So visually they're indented, but also when I run the test suite, it's going to tell me as a little sort of a subheader test modifiers and then indented by, I think it might be one, maybe two spaces, when I have all of the tests that make up that related group of oh, tests. Okay, so you'll see all the answers together and, and that way you know it's over, maybe this type of function has a problem or yes. it, it narrows it down for you where to go look for the problem. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And you can nest these as deep as you like. So... Ooh. I would recommend nesting them to match the structure of your code. So if you have a class, you would say describe and then all the tests for the class. And then inside there, you would have another describe that says all the tests for the constructor. And another describe that might say all the tests for the getters and setters. And another describe that's, you know. Uh, And then they'll be nicely indented and all logically grouped together. So, and the groupings come in handy for other things too. Hmm. So... The next thing I want to teach you is one of the reasons I fell in love with Jest above QUnit is how easy it makes you to repeat the same test multiple times without copying and pasting vast wedges of code. So you can describe a test once and then describe all the different inputs and outputs and then it'll just do it over and over and over again without you having to write your own for loop. So with QUnit, you had to write your own for loops and your code was just full of your test suite was just full of code that was getting in the way of your brain when you tried to look at your test suite. So we're going to refactor a part of our code which actually has three problems, yeah, in my opinion. Because like, you know, last time was Refactor a very... our test code. Yes, exactly. Okay. So our first attempt at a test suite was extremely naive, right? It was just, let's get started here. Let's do something. So as it stands, our code has a bunch of related tests, um, all about, it's one big test statement, which contains one, two, three, four, five expect statements. And I structured it that way because I needed an example to prove to you that you could have multiple expects in the one test. But Mm -hmm. actually, that's a terrible way to do it for real, because what are my descriptions of each there's only one test, so my description of each thing the test is doing is a comment. Like, they shouldn't be comments. They should be described somewhere within the test so that they can show up in the output. The only thing that's going to show up in the output is one line, default to join. Right? And then it's doing four or five pieces of work. So that's right, but your, your, your comments are clear and are explaining what each one of these tests is doing. Right, but it's in the comments. So in the output of Jest, right. if you if you look if you scroll back up to the output of Jest from above, all of the, that logic appears as default join two milliseconds. Let's see. Look, uh, it's literally just the paragraph above again. You can see, you know, where um, well, we showed the output showing a nice indentation of what I had just fixed above I that. I saw that. Yeah, well, the, oh, okay. the just line says above d- default that. Join, okay, default join two milliseconds, but it doesn't, uh, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, so that's not, that's not good, right? That okay. shouldn't be like that. The second thing to notice is that there are five expects in there, and four of them are doing the same thing, right? We're giving it some valid input and expecting it to do something with that input. And the last one is is like, you know, the, the gray swan or whatever, because... The last one is checking whether or not we throw an exception. Well, checking that your function works and checking that your function throws an exception, that's not one test. They're, they're different things. They should really be split out. So that's immediately a second problem. We're doing two things in one test. And then the third problem is if you ignore that last one, which is the oddball out. If you look at the other four... Each line of code is identical except for the input, except for the value being passed to expect and the value in to be. Right? Yeah. 
Right, They're identical right, right. in structure apart from that. And, and that's, that's calls, calling for a loop to just go, I want you to do this, but just splat in these very, it, this is going to change. The exactly. thing I want to join is going to change and the to be is going to change, but the, the test the itself structure. is identical. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay. So th- this, this is, that's three software engineering bad smells is what I count here. <laughs> Okay. So we should, we can fix the first two smells based on what we've just learned with the describe statement. So we can use a describe statement. We can, well, the first thing we can do is we can split the last test into its own test. Or sorry, the last expect into its own test. So that's easy. Mm-hmm. We learned about that last time. And then based on what we learned above, we can change the other four. So that's one test with four expects. That should now be one described with four tests each test with one expect. So that much we can do without any new learning. So mm-hmm. if we get ourselves that far, we now have something better, but it's still not good, right? So so, so to describe what Bart's got here is he's got uh, the outer describe, which is this entire testing of the, of the uh, default join. Uh, and then he describes with valid data and describe with invalid data. So invalid data is the one that's supposed to throw a, an error and uh, the first described with valid data, that's our four tests, but you've still got them as four separate tests. So we're right. partway there. We're exactly, but we're better off, right? Because if you, if you scroll down the show notes, I captured what the output looks like before I made my change. And it was just one tick box that said default join. Mm-hmm. And after I made that change, we have one plain old text for with invalid data, uh, because the tests are run in alphabetic order, you might notice. So even though in the code with invalid data came second, Oh. <laughs> it, it was actually run first, okay. Uh, which is followed then by the describe with valid data with its four tests inside it. So we have one test for invalid data and then one describe with four tests for with valid data. So, so hang on, why did, we don't have describes for each of those? Correct. We have one describe, did, which is Right, but how did it give us four, it gave us four descriptions? Because the test, a test gets a label. All right. So test, if you look at the test Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so those aren't the describes. Those are the, the labels. Yeah, so if it has a tick box, it's a test. If it doesn't, or an X, if it's wrong. Um, if it has an outcome, it's a test. If it doesn't have an outcome, then it's a describe. Right? So okay, with so valid- that's why with valid data doesn't have a checkbox. That's a little confusing. That could be clearer, but... It's, but-, but it's not a test, right? It's a heading describing four tests, and the four tests each get an outcome. Maybe it's the uh, editor we're using here, but the uh, syntax highlighting makes them look identical. The only difference uh, is the one that is a a heading, because it's it's, um, the the label. Sorry, the one without the label. The the describe doesn't doesn't have a checkbox. It is also outdented, if that's the opposite of indented, from yeah, but the it's test outdented it where the checkbox is. Well, it's nothing I can change, so I should stop whining. Learning. Yes, and the other Shut thing is, of learning. course, in the actual terminal, I believe one of them is bolded, but that doesn't ah. come through when you just capture plain text. Gotcha, gotcha. And okay. there's also colors going on, so it is actually yeah. a little clearer on the actual terminal. Good, good. Oh, yeah, that's right, because the check might be green or whatever, so you exactly. see a little bit, little bit more visual. Yes. So... We are better in terms of our output, right? The output of our test suite is now better. Mm-hmm. But what is not yet better is that our code is still repetitive, right? We have four tests mm-hmm. inside that describe, and they really are identical apart from the, the value being passed to expect and the answer in the to be. So we have to be able to do better than that, and we can. And the key to this is the fact that Describe allows us to to sort of basically there's there's a modifier function for describe. So remember we learned about a syntax where you could have something dot something where the the second one is is sort of a function in disguise. Well, describe can take like an extra function showed on the end called each. So you can hmm. say describe dot each. Oh, okay. Sounds smells a little bit like for each. It smells very like reach because its function is indeed to loop. Uh, The syntax is short to write, but it's going to need a little bit of describing. So describe.each is a function that returns a function. 
So that's okay. why there are going to be two sets of parentheses. Describe that each is going to make a function, and then we're going to immediately execute that function. Therefore, we need another set of arguments. So we, okay. we send a set of arguments to describe that each. That makes a function to which we then give more arguments. So that's why it's describe that each, open parens, some stuff, close parens, open parens, some more stuff, close parens. Okay. And we learned about that as part of our, here's the weird things functions can do a few weeks ago. And the reason is because of this, right? You saw this coming. Yeah, I, I literally read ahead. Um, so describe.each, so the first set of parens, what it takes as its one and only argument is an array of arrays. Oh, no. It's a function that passes to a function with an array of arrays. It, this is awesome. This is the nested. part you warned me about that it I was going to get stuck on, isn't it? I, yeah, I warned Alison up front it's going to be easy. A big peak in the middle and then easy again. We are now climbing Mount Peak or whatever we're going to call okay. it. Um, so we're looping, right? So mm -hmm. every time through the loop, we're going to be calling a function that runs our tests with some thingies to shove in, right? You, you yourself said there was clearly two placeholders here. There was the thing to pass to expect and the thing to pass to to be. Correct. So that means that whatever we're doing is going to need two arguments. Uh-huh. So the array is going to contain arrays of arguments to the thing that's going to run the tests for us. So if we need three pieces of data, we're going to have an array containing arrays of length three, one array of length three for each repetition. Okay. So if we're repeating it three times, then we're going to have an array containing three arrays of three. Okay, I'm hoping this becomes clear when I see an example. <laughs> yeah, very much. This is much easier to see than to describe. Um, okay. In the show notes, I mentioned the fact that you can stick placeholders into the description that goes in the um, the describe statement. It's in. I read about it with great interest on Jest's documentation. I thought it was really cool and wrote it into the show notes and then proceeded to never need it. So... <laughs> I'm going to leave it okay. in the show notes because it might okay. we might refer back to it someday, but okay. I'm going to skip it for now to 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 make the slopes of Mount whatever we're calling this Mount Jester Mount Array of Arrays Mount Jester <laughs> yeah Mount Jester like it. I'm going to make it a little okay. bit easier so I am going to replace the above repeated tests with the describe each that is in the show notes so the first thing is. We open our, as we say, describe that each, we open our first set of parentheses and then we start our array of arrays, right? And then for clarity, we go onto a new line for each of the entries in our array of arrays. And so what I'm hoping you notice is that there's a repetition going on here. So we have a description, comma, an array of stuff, comma, a string. So typical case, three arguments, a, the array A, B, C, and then the string A, B, and C. Edge case, empty array. Then we have an empty array followed by an empty string. Then we have edge case, one string. We have an array of A followed by the string A. And then we have uh, our final one is edge case, two strings, the array A, B, and then the string A and B. And you so, have very nicely formatted it so I can see it in nice little columns so they line up. Yes, I have. And I put a lot of effort into that because otherwise I would have lost my own sanity. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm betting my linter won't let me do that, but I appreciate that you did it. I, well, if your linter doesn't, your linter may need, to, may need to be educated in the ways of this is okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so I did it like that to make it clear that this is basically a table, right? Yeah. So, so each got, row... At an at a upper level, let me try to just say it. You've got describe.each... And in parentheses, we've got an array with each of the arrays we need for for these um, these three examples for our repetition, but, basically. Yeah, and and inside the, inside each one of those elements of that array is the uh, is the describe no is the the label right the yeah. uh, what is it called is it called label I'm going to call it a label right so I have chosen okay. to, to have a custom label each time so I am putting that into my table. Okay, Basically, so we've got the label and then the array of what we are going to put into this uh, uh, joiner function test, into the test, and then what we expect it to be. Correct. Okay. So I have found a third placeholder, is what I have done. 
being the description. So you saw, you immediately saw two placeholders, which is the input and the output, but actually there's no. a third placeholder. Oh. When you said, when you described that there was clearly repetition, you said there is an input and an output, but I'm saying, well, there's actually a third piece of data that changes the description. Which is the label, the description. Yeah. Okay, all right. Which is why I have three per row instead of two per row. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not completely lost. Okay, so they are the arguments to describe.each. And describe.each mm-hmm. returns a function which will then execute tests multiple times. And that function wants two arguments. So that's why when we open the second parens, the first thing we do is we pass it a string, which is just a description of the group of tests. So I'm just calling it with valid data. Okay. The second argument it wants is a function, which again is going to be, say it with me now, an arrow function. And the arrow function describes our test that is going to be repeated, right? But how do we get the placeholders in? We are defining a function. So we are now going to give names to our placeholders. And we are at this point in time calling the first thing desk, short for description, the second thing input, and the third thing result. And that could be pancakes, waffles, and syrup. Precisely, which is why I'm laboring the point so strongly. We are at this is the point in time where we are giving names to the three columns in our table above. Okay. Okay. So now that that's done, inside the arrow function, I define my test once. The first argument to the test function is the description. Well, that is now the variable desk. The second argument to the test function is an arrow function to actually run the test, which contains expect joiner.join input dot to be result. Uh-huh. You brought it home, Bart. You brought Whew. it home. That that is not uh, that is not hurting my head. I am going to print that example out and keep it in my desk drawer and pull it out every time I can't remember. But <laughs> right, exactly. And the thing is, if I wanted to add a, another test, it's just another row in the table, and I can see exactly how and I the, should structure that. Because well, and I'm the just, reason this is so valid is, is so important is because what are the chances you can you think up all of the valid tests the first time? Approximately, if not exactly, zero. <laughs> right, right. So I might I might think of one, maybe two, hopefully two, so that I do an each, and yeah. then I'm going to save myself work when I just add them in and change the probability of typos back to see said bad smell. Exactly, exactly. So you can see how scalable this is compared to QUnit, right? You can see how maintainable this is over time. You write the test once, and from then on, all you're doing is thinking about the data. And when you're thinking about the data, it's not hidden away in weird functions and stuff. It's just a simple array where you just shove in another row, another row, another row, another row, until you're done. Right, right, right. So that's the hardest thing today. So... There we go. We have a function that returns a function that we immediately call. So a lot, a lot going on here, and there's two, you know, arrow functions all over the place. So I, I think, I think you deserve like a little, I don't know, <laughs> little something for getting over that one. But well, you know, I, I will we say, if you haven't learned this yet, and all the time we've known each other, if you tell me ahead of time that something's going to be hard, I'm okay. It's when yeah, we're marching along, happy joy joy, and all of a sudden I hit the wall, and you're still talking like it's all happy joy joy. That's when I'm like, no, but if you tell me it's going to be hard, I'm okay. Yeah, which is, I'm trying to do better at, I'm being more self-aware as I write the show notes and mentally making a note going, okay, this needs a warning. (laughs) (laughs) Warning label. A little trigger warning. part coming. (laughs) Okay, so we have now, well, we now run this, right? So describe.each, we are defining a describe block. And then we're saying, do this over and over again. So when we now run the test, the output is, like with any other describe block, the label followed by each of our tests. Now, we have one test statement, but four times it gets called. So the output is four happy checkboxes, each one describing our little piece of English we passed as the first argument. You know what else I like that you did in this is um, the way you, you put your descriptions in. You, you said this is the typical case. Three arguments, and then you listed edge cases. And I like that mental model because I'll be able to think of the typical case because that's what I expect somebody to do. Yeah. And then then you got to start going, okay, what are the edge cases? What are the things that, that a user named Allison will just go start poking for no reason and do it wrong? 
Well, I mean, I do that very intentionally because I know that that's what you have to test because out by one is such a common error, right? You have a for loop that you end, it should, you should end it at X, you know, you should end it at less than, but you accidentally do less than or equal to, or you should end it at less than or equal to, but you accidentally do less than, right? Th- oh, those kind so of things. you always test for that. Yeah, your edge cases are always where you run into problems. You know, should I have started zero instead of one or one instead of zero? That is where you will find bugs. Like, you know, if you were to graph the distribution of bugs, edge cases are where, you know, this giant peak of bugs are. And there's some nasty ones elsewhere making up the tail, but edge cases are are always in trouble. So I make a mental model, always check right on the edge. Like, you know, check an obviously correct value and an obviously wrong value. But the boundary conditions, right? The the border yeah. between true, you know, between okay and not okay. Right, right, right. Examine carefully. That is, if it's above boiling, did you include one hundred or two twelve or not include it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Less than, less than or equal to your classic problem. Okay. Which should it be? Because it matters. A computer will do exactly what you tell it, no matter how illogical. Because that's how computers work. So, based on that same. Logic, we can practice our newfound skill a second time. At the moment, we have one single test for what do we do when we pass it invalid data. And as we recorded the last installment, you actually pulled me up on that and went, That doesn't seem like enough. You're testing oh, did it I with actually think one, of one. Yeah. Like one invalid piece of data? You know, surely to goodness there are more ways to be wrong. Of course there are more ways to be wrong. So let us do another described at each to test in more ways. Now, in this case, it's not three arguments every time because the outcome each time is the same. This thing is supposed to throw an error. So there is no need to specify the third what it should be because what it should oh, be right. is always the same. Throw an error. Okay. So what we need to specify is the description and the input. What wrong value are we going to shove in? So in my describe that each, my table is just a two, a two each time. So I'm saying I'm going to shove in a string, pancakes, a number, 42, a boolean, true, a plain object, a colon B, and a class instance, new date. Okay. For Jill, that was a dictionary. <laughs> yes. On plain object. Okay. So that, that's, our, that's our entire argument then to describe that each. And then into the function that, that describe that each makes, we're passing in the description string is with invalid data, which mirrors nicely with, with the valid data. And then the arrow function, we're naming our arguments desk and val, describe mm-hmm. and value, or description of value. So in this case, we say test with a dollar desk inside a little backtick. So that's a template string because we haven't done one of them in a while. So that's just oh. going to shove the value of description into that string. Oh, nice. So it's going to say with a string, with a number, with a Boolean, with a plain object. Yeah. And then our, 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 um, our second argument, because we're going to do dot to throw, we need to wrap it all inside an arrow function so that it doesn't throw prematurely. We wanted to detonate when the test suite runs, not detonate instantly and throw an error right there and then. And, and I am it, now comfortable with that. Oh, good, because that was that was our that was our mount uh, mount troublesome last time. Yeah, and we ended up talking about it in our Slack at podfeed.com/slash/slack in mm. the PBS channel. Uh, and I, I brought it up and told them how annoying I was, annoyed I was with that, or somebody else brought it up and said, I, you, were, you were confused. I think it was Michael Westbay, maybe? Yeah, I am 90% and... sure it was. So there, yeah, prob- Ooh, if we're wrong now, it's terrible. We've both given credit to the wrong person if we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was uh, by me trying to articulate why I was confused, I got unconfused. So that was, uh, that was super helpful. Yes, which is a great opportunity to plug the community there who absolutely rock. So in this case, we're saying expect, and then inside the arrow function, joiner.joinval.to joiner.join I'm going to interrupt you real quick. We were right. It was Michael Westbay. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Mike, Michael is an absolute treasure in that community. He, he is by no means alone, by the way. There are many treasures in that community, but he is definitely one of them. Yeah. Okay. So... We're saying expect joiner.join val dot to throw type error. And so the first time through the loop, it's going to say with a string, and then it's going to try join pancakes, so it's going to throw a type error, we hope. Second time through, it's going to say with a number, and it's going to try to join 42, and it should throw a type error. Lather, rinse, repeat. And so we now have 
multiple failure tests to match our multiple success tests. Very nice. Okay, so if you stop learning now, you're okay. You'll get by. But there are two more things I'd like to teach you, one of them because it will become important and one of them because it's just darn helpful. It's going to make your life easier. So I'm going to end on the one that makes your life easier because I always like to end on a happy note. So as you develop more of a real-world scenario, it becomes quite common for multiple tests to depend on something having been created before they run. So it could be a big data structure you want to build. And rather than sticking that code to assemble the data structure into every test, you'd kind of like to build the data structure in one piece of code and then have it reconstructed as needed. And in the really real world, a really common thing to want to do is talk to a database. And database connections have to be established in an orderly fashion and disconnected in an orderly fashion, or you end up with connections left hanging around, slowly timing out, servers running out of resources because of all of these waiting connections that are never going to get answered. So there are actually things you need to, to sort of do before your tests and then clean up after yourself when the tests are finished. And Jest offers us four functions for doing this kind of, they call it set up and tear down. So the setup can be connect to a database or just build a nice data structure. And the first of these is before all and after all are a pair that you can use to say, do this before you do a single test. So before you do a single test, do this once for before all. And after all is for defining the code to do when everything is finished, we've run all of our tests, run this code once. So why would you, what do you, what kind of code would you need to run before and after a test? So I, so before and after the most obvious example is establish database connection in before all, disconnect in an orderly fashion in after all. Okay. All right. That is the most common use case, but you don't have to use them in symmetry. So there are many more needs for before all than there are for after all, because after all is only for something that has to be closed. Mm -hmm. Before all you can use to build up test data. So imagine that you need to test something on a really, you know, a data structure, which is like a dictionary that contains dictionaries and contains arrays. And, you know, it might be 20 lines of code to set up this nice data structure you're then going to hammer away at in your tests. Well, it would be nice to have that built once and to have that in a nice little, you know, before all call. And then instead of copying and pasting that into each of your tests, you just have it run once and then it's there for you to use. Now, the second situation is what if your function is destructive? What if your sorry, what if your tests are destructive? Right? You have your fancy pants data structure you've written all the code for, and the first test comes along and say deletes half of it. Does that happen? I mean well, you would intentionally do that. Well you would if your test was write a function that will delete every every odd number from an array. If your function deletes every odd number from an array, then the input is going to be an array with even and odd numbers, and the first time you run one of your tests, if it works, your array is going to be missing all the odd numbers. And then you go along to your second test and you have to rebuild your array. Well, there's another function called before each and its friend after each, which allows you to define some code to run before every test. So in that case, if you're writing a function that you know is going to be destructive, well, write your code to set up your fancy data structure once, but shove it in before each. And then every time you go to run a test, we build a nice data structure, we run our test. We build a nice data structure, we run our test. Okay, okay. Right? So before all and after all is usually for database connections or LDAP connections or some sort of server talking to server scenario. Right. But the before each is a great way to create template data that you're just going to hammer at. And your test may well destroy the data because your function might be to delete something. Well, how do you it test that? It could even be to multiply by three or whatever. It, it doesn't have to be dis- that destructive. It can be destructive in that it's not the same as the way you want it to be when it starts. Exactly. Convert okay. it to uppercase. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Change yeah, yeah, it yeah, any yeah. way. And yeah. so the before okay. each is a great way to just, this is how I want the universe to look before my test. And then it just happens every time. So you write the code once and then mm. for free, it just happens every time. So oh, before, like before each is very, very, very useful. Um, And, you know, as I say, before all and after all are great when you start talking to databases and stuff like that. 
Now, to be honest, our example doesn't need either of these. But I couldn't not use them. So I have, in fact, added a before all. So our function is completely non-destructive, right? Joining things together is utterly non-destructive. So I've just made a test array, I've called it. So describe... Oh, sorry. I have one more thing I need to say to you. So before all and after all and before each and after each, they are scoped to the near to the describe function that contains them. Hmm. Or if they're not inside any describes at all, then they're global. Okay. So if you have groups of tests, you may only want your sample data for a specific group of tests. So then you do the before all or before each inside the describe. Oh, that describe is really powerful. It's not just Bing! about replacing comments. Exactly. Because it really they're... is grouping them and making a scope. Huh. Yes, 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 yes. And I, I didn't want to I didn't want to tease that too far, but yes, this this is exactly why. So if we redo our test modifiers describe, we can say let test array and then before all test array becomes equal to the array waffles, pancakes, popcorn. And then we can just use test array inside each of our existing tests. It's not oh. the world's most exciting example, but you know, imagine that test array was a really complex data structure with 20 lines of code. Okay. And imagine that my joiner was actually not a joiner, but some sort of destructive function. And then my before all could be before each, and then it would be really valuable. As it is, this just shows how the syntax works. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's still really helpful. Good, good. Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about then is making your life easier in two different ways. So in the real world... You are, okay, it is very, very, very important to run all of your tests when you do something like commit. In fact, before you do something like commit, right? The last thing you do before a commit should be run my test suite. Especially if you're going to tag the commit as a release, right? But really, it's bad manners to check in broken code. It's just, that's just rude oh, wait, to your com- Committing isn't, isn't, isn't putting the code back. Well, it, I've okay. learned to commit when I go get a drink of water. Yes, but don't commit to main. Don't commit to main. Well, can, I, I don't you, just don't have to push. I can commit locally. Okay, that is also true. Yeah, but if you're gonna if you're gonna share stuff with other people, it should be working. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. That that would seem not rude. <laughs> yes, precisely. So it's very important to run your entire test suite, and as your code matures. Your test suite will grow because you will think of things you should be testing for. You will find bugs, which will tell you what you should be testing for. And your code is going to get bigger because you're adding new features. So over time, right now, our test suites run in like fractions of a second. But by the end of the XKPassWD project, there's every chance our test suite could take 30 seconds to run. Oh. Now, if you're in the middle of debugging a function, 30 seconds is a long time. You're oh, going to get cranked forever. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's only in something the size of this expected project. If you're doing something like jQuery, I imagine their test suite could easily take two or three minutes to run. And so you do a quick fix and you run your test suite and do, 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 or you go absolutely potty. Mm-hmm. So Jest provides more modifiers. So dot each is a modifier we've already seen, which rocks, which lets us do our loop. But there's another modifier called dot only. And you temporarily put dot only in the one test or the one group of tests that is relevant to the thing you're trying to debug right now this second. Oh, so not all of the tests will run? Only or the group or test that you stick the dot only in front of will run. All the rest of your test suite will skip. So it means deselect all except this one. Yeah. Oh. So if don't, you're don't trying to debug, leave that in. <laughs> we, okay, but you'll know you've left it in because it will show you the test is not running, and it will say skipped sixteen ran one. Oh, okay, okay, good. Or if you stick it on a group, it might say you know skipped fifteen ran two or whatever. So you stick your dot only, uh, and dot only works um, on test. It works on describe, and it works on describe dot each. So in the show notes is an example of how the syntax works. So test dot only. JavaScript can add, which contains our one simple expect, expect one plus one dot to be two, right? 
If that was in a larger test suite, only that one test would run because it's test dot only. And the scope what if you put is, dot only on more than one test. It will probably run each of them. I didn't actually try that. Okay. It'll either shout at you or run only the ones that say dot only. Okay. But as I soon it as would do the ones you said dot only. That would make sense. It would. Basically, the main functionality is once there is one dot only in your code anywhere, then everything without one is skipped. Okay. And it only runs on, you said, describe? Okay, so I'm saying there are three places you can use it. So the first example is running just a single test. You say test.only and then the normal syntax for a test. Okay. You can also stick the dot .only on a describe. So if you have a group of two tests, like in this example here, you can say describe dot .only and then the normal concept, you know, the normal describe nested so test. So the scope of that describe, it would do all of the tests within it. Yes. So okay. in that case, it would run two tests. Okay. And you can also do dot .only dot .each, which means that it would only do the loop. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, that doesn't make any sense at all. Only do each. Right, so but imagine this all... is in a large file. It will do that loop and nothing else in the file. Okay, that seems just like a describe dot .only. It just happens it to have a dot .each on it. Yeah, exactly. It's just basically showing that it works in a looped describe, just like it works in a normal describe. So what kind of tests can it not, can that only not be on? Those are the only ones I know, aren't they? Absolutely. They, they can, basically, the point of this is that they can be anywhere that it makes sense for them to be. Oh, okay. And it's, okay, good. It's just a matter of showing you the order. So yeah, it's yeah. test becomes test that only, describe becomes describe that only, and describe that each becomes describe that only dot each. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. That's, that's and that is extremely useful if you're debugging a specific piece of functionality, because then your test yeah. suite will run lickety split, and the only thing you're going to see are the tests you care about. Right. And it's a temporary thing. You just pop in the dot only, do your stuff, and when it's all working, you take the dot only out, and then you can run your whole test suite. Okay. And then there is the inverse of dot only, which is the modifier dot skip. Because the other thing that happens an awful lot in the real world is that you will find more than one problem at a time, but you can't work on more than one problem at a time. <laughs> so you're going to triage the others and you're going to say, I am going to ignore problems two, four, and eight until next week. But now you can mentally tune them out. So you run your test suite and you're saying, well, I'm expecting four errors and I got five errors, so I have one real problem. But you're going to mess that up. <laughs> so what you should do is stick a dot skip modifier in front of all of the ones you have mentally told yourself that's tomorrow's problem. And then they won't be mucking up your results. So you can continue to work on everything else and you can be sure you've not introduced any regressions because you're still running all your other tests. But you're just saying, I know that's broken. Don't tell me what I know. Tell me new things. So it's kind of interesting. Those are two ways to solve possibly the same problem, but it's like philosophically the way you think about it, right? You could say dot only and only work on that one you know you've got trouble with. Mm -hmm. Or you could say, okay, I know I've, I want all of my test suites to run, but four of them have problems, but I'm going to work on problem three first. So I'm going to skip one, two, and four. Yeah. And which makes more sense will vary from project to project and situation to situation. But there are definitely times when you wanted to run all of your tests because you're afraid that the thing you're working... Actually, if you're working to fix a bug, that only is usually what makes sense. But if you're writing new functionality, a real danger is that when you add something new, you break something over there, right? It's the old, you know, laying a carpet problem. Like, oh, it's perfect over here. Meanwhile, behind you, it's gone horribly wrong. Right. And one of the things that's great about test driven development is that it will catch that problem for you. So that's why you wanted to run as many tests as possible while you're writing new functionality. But you don't want the false positives of stuff that you know is broken. So just put the dot skip on the stuff that you know is broken. That you, that's intentional. Don't okay. tell me about it. And then the only errors that will get flagged are when you've accidentally done some sort of spooky action at a distance and made something that used to work not work anymore. <laughs> and that happens so, a lot. But if you only skip the one, if you only put skip on the ones you know are broken, and then you fix one of the tests, let's say again, back to our test three is mm -hmm. if I've got a problem. So I'm going to put skip on one, two, and four, but I'm going to keep all of the other tests. Mm -hmm. I can be watching to see if I've screwed something up 
worse on, or that wasn't there before on those tests. Yes. But if you do dot only and only test that that number three there, then you could be causing spooky action at a, at a distance and you won't notice it. Yeah. Now, in reality, what you'll actually end up doing, so you'll use that only if you're focusing on a very specific bug, and your last test before you do your commit will be to take the dot only out and run your test suite again. Sure. At which point, anything you've broken elsewhere will be flagged. But dot skip is more useful if what you're actually doing is writing new functionality. So you're not oh. trying to fix a specific bug, but you're writing in something new. You're adding to your, you're doing an addition to your code base, and you don't want to be nagged about a known problem you've set aside. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not working right. on that today. Go away. Right. right. Dot skip. And the syntax is identical. So you can skip a single test with test.skip. You can skip a describe with describe.skip. And you can skip a describe each with describe.skip.each. This makes perfect sense. I love this. You see why I see why I picked it, even though Meta wrote it? <laughs> it's good. It's, there's just, just no other way about of, it. This is good. Meta is, is Wagner then. <laughs> yeah, Meta is Wagner. I mean, the ring cycle is superb music and Wagner really was a horrific human being. Mm. Um, so there we are. So I have, I'm, I'm being extremely lazy here. I'm setting an optional challenge. And by optional, I mean Bart doesn't have to do it. So there's not <laughs> going to be a sample solution. But if you would like some practice, I can suggest that our, our example test suite here only tests the join function, right? So we have a module that exports one function called join. But if you poke inside that module, you will find that there is an entire class in there called joiner, I think I called it. So there's no tests for that class's functionality, right? I'm only testing the function I exported. And the reason I did that was because I wanted the example to be small and self-contained, not because that's how you do it in the real world. So if you would like a challenge, then it's actually a two-parter. The first part is to play around with modules a bit because we haven't done a lot of you know, challenges on modules. So at the moment, the module exports one thing, the function. So the first part of the challenge is make it export two things, the function and the class. And then once you've exported the class, test it. Mm. Okay. <laughs> As I say, it's all right. If you if you have real world code that you want to play with, that's a better challenge than this. Because then you're actually doing something actually useful to yourself. But if 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 someone is just looking for something to do because they want to flex these muscles and there's nothing to hand, there is a something. But honestly, yeah. I think it's better to use this on real code you care about. Eh. Yeah, but it would be good for me to get into modules because I'm still, I'm not at all comfortable. Not one little tiny bit comfortable, so. Okay, uh, well then this is actually the, this is actually quite a good challenge then. Yeah, trying to figure out if I'm going to be able to carve the time out. That was that thing, <laughs> just that face I made. <laughs> Well, it might be a good time because you you asked me a question today on Telegram and my answer is yes, I would love to answer that for the listeners, but that's an entire episode. So if we do Mm -hmm. that episode next, then you have four weeks to do your challenge and I have four weeks to learn about Webpack, which is what's next on the agenda. And it's particularly momentous because that is the last piece of prep work before we can get started. Oh, oh. And I know nothing about Webpack apart from the fact that everyone loves it. So I know everyone loves it, and I know it's the industry standard, and I know I should know it. But that's all I know. So, oh, okay. So okay, I need so some time. You could use some time to, to learn it. Okay. Well, that, that sounds like a good solution. There we go. We've just made that up on the fly, folks. This is how the sausage gets made. <laughs> there you go. Well, that is really all I got. So at this stage in the process, we have our toolbox is almost full. There's just one little slot left for one more tool, which is our so-called bundler. So if you remember when we first introduced modules, I was like, well, if you're on the browser, you have to use the .js file extension because web servers only use the right MIME type with that extension. And if the wrong MIME type is there, the browser will ignore the module. But on Node.js, you have to use .mjs as the file extension. And you were like, but my file can't have two extensions. Like mm-hmm. it's either one or the other. How can I make it work everywhere? And I said to you, stick a pin in it. There's a tool for that. Well, the tool for that is a bundler. And a bundler's job is to take your code from the source directory, which is why I've been using this SRC directory, 
transform it in some way and then make it available for public use, for distribution. And the traditional place to do that is in a dist folder. So if you go browsing around GitHub and you start looking in random repositories, what you will generally find is an SRC folder and a dist folder. And the code will be almost the same in both, but in one of them it'll be like in .ts.js or .mjs or something. And in the other, there'll be plain old .js files ready for a browser. And the bundler's job is to take all of your dependencies. So is .js and everything else you've taken from NPM and your code and mush them all into one single .js file ready for the browser. Oh, wow. In an entirely automated fashion. Correct. It bundles it for you. And that's how you end up with the file. Like when you do, when you include jQuery, it's just one script tag with one URL to one .js file. But when they're writing it, it's not one file. And that's not the file they're writing. Okay. They have a bundler which takes their source code in their SRC folder and smashes it into that one file with everything all self-contained and publishes it usually to the dist folder. Okay. Okay. And and that's what Webpack is going to do for us? That's the bundler we're going to use? That is the bundler we're going to use because it is the biggest, it is by far the one that has won. It has the mind share of the developer community. So it is the one to learn because that knowledge will be completely transportable. Okay. Let's just hope you like it. I know because I, I previously, I have used one bundler once and it was Rollup because at the time there was a real war between Rollup and Webpack and Rollup became uh, Betamax. And Webpack became VHS, and I backed the wrong horse. Oh, okay. Okay, so you know where we have to go. Well, before you sign off, I want to um, thank you and everybody in the community one more time uh, for how supportive you and everybody are, are of people when they're asking questions and showing code they've written and things. The, in the uh, in our Slack, people can talk about things they're confused about or they got questions or even show off. And the answer is always, wow, that's really cool. And, and I bring it up because someone recently uh, announced an app that they had just finished developing and a good friend of theirs mocked them for it in a way that was really mean. And it made me... I should expect people to be nice and kind, but I but I will never take it for granted. And the the support that you give to the community, and the other people have given to me, and I know we give to each other in there. Uh, I know I'm getting all maudlin and teary eyed here, but I just love this community. It really people help each other, and it's a wonderful thing. I I just want to echo that because I I'm, I'm an introvert by nature. There are, I, I find being on the internet very stressful, which is why I will mm-hmm. often disappear. Like if I'm busy in work, I will just disappear because it. I find it stressful to be on communities. But the first place I will come back to, the first place I will check in is always that Slack. That is, oh, if I have nice. any energy at all, it goes there. Because then you know, after it's going to be a happy, joy, joy place, right? <laughs> it is because it's either enthusiastic people sharing stuff they have made with every bit as much pride as I have when I make stuff. Like I mm-hmm. recognize it. I recognize that feeling, right? Um, this week in work, I got to make something cool. I had a problem to solve, and it was really obvious to me that I could solve it with a computer better than with a human. And I wrote some code. I wanted it to be clickable, so I did it in Bootstrap 5, because, hey, I wanted an excuse for Bootstrap 5. And the first thing I thought to do with it, after sh- showing off to my boss, was to show off in the Nacilla Castaways community, because I got to open source <laughs> it, because it's absolutely not proprietary. So... But I see that self-same love and joy from programming from everyone else in the community. And the other thing I see is that when someone asks a question, it is never, ever, 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 ever treated as a dumb question because there is no such thing. And everyone in the community will scramble to be the first to be the most helpful. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It is competitive. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I want to help first. No, I want to help first. (laughs) Okay. All of the all of the channels are good, but I think PBS is uh, if it, delete me is really good too. That one's a lot of fun, but uh, that's just you know that's just entertainment. But the PBS channel is where probably most of the action is, and it's uh, it's just super fun in there. A lot of, a lot of people showing off what they're doing and asking questions and helping each other and linking to to, to fun resources like interesting podcast episodes and good articles and stuff. It's quite it's quite a mix actually in there. 
Yeah. Caleb yeah. tends and to show up and drop in a little link and then that's an hour of your life gone as you're listening to. <laughs> you said Caleb, right? Oh yeah, he, he yeah. leaves the best stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun, Bart. Uh, I, I enjoyed Mount Jest. Excellent. Excellent. I keep on thinking of Mount Gox. I was like, no, I'm not going to steal your Bitcoin, Alison. <laughs> We're doing fun programming. Anyway, the most important thing of all, folks, is that until next time, happy computing. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.